0: With Amelia's performance podcast. This is a bit of a special episode. I uh, released another episode this week. So we had Shane Finn, the ultra runner, ultra endurance athlete, out yesterday. And seeing as it's a long weekend, we thought to give you a bonus episode this weekend with my good friend Jason Van Shee from Flourish and also the Psych Health and Safety podcast. Jason has launched a new podcast. You can check him out on LinkedIn or over at his website the psych health and safety podcast a very relevant and pertinent topic at the moment given the COVID-19 pandemic changes in the workplace and a lot of discussion around mental health in the community i'm not going to talk anymore i'm just going to get into this episode with jason vanshee hope you enjoy Welcome back to Melia's Performance Podcast. I got dressed up today to talk to my old friend, Jason Banshee. Jason, how are you doing? Yeah, really good, man. Great to see you. Yeah, I put on a t-shirt today especially for you. So normally we don't record a visual or, um, you know, the video on when we're doing these podcasts, but I thought I'd get dressed up today and put on a t-shirt. Um, the first yeah. question I, I have for you, Jason, is do you like, do you like my hair at the moment? Uh,
1: is, is it different?
0: Yeah, I've actually not got a cut in about nine weeks. It's the longest I've ever gone without a haircut since I was born. Yeah, you're looking like a hippie, mate.
1: You, uh, I you do know, look like a hippie, guy.
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's uh, yeah, good, good to see you, mate, and uh, good to hear your uh, mellifluous tones. Great. My what tones? Mellifluous.
0: Can you explain that word, please, for the viewers and for me?
1: <laughs> uh, deep, melodious, um... I love, I love your accent. It is like, fantastic. like someone, yeah.
0: someone said to me dulcet tones recently. Would that be dulce, similar? Yeah, yeah, similar. Dulce. yeah. My wife said I sound like a creep on the, on the podcast, but there you go. Um, <laughs> and I said, how do you know you don't even listen? She goes, I'm sick of listening to you anyway at home. So why would I go and listen to a podcast? She listened to one yeah. podcast and she cringed listening to my voice
1: on it. So that was, yeah, insane. I would never put my wife through that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so Jess, you join us today from the far reaches of Perth on the other side of the river. Um, for the people who don't know you, Jason, can you give people a little bit of your background and sort of uh, where you grew up and, and your educational background as we have context into our discussion today?
1: Yeah, okay, is where I grew up. So, I kind of grew up in Western Sydney, uh, the Bronx of, of Sydney, if, if you like. Um, fortunately, made my way over to Perth about 20 years ago. Uh, met a lovely uh, woman who's now my wife. Um, we uh, have three kids. Um, uh, so, personally, yeah, life's, life's pretty hectic with sport and whatnot uh over the weekends as i know you're really into your own uh, personal fitness and, and training um yeah I, d- I do definitely come to work on monday for a bit of a break after uh, trying to fit in six or seven sporting uh you know, events over the weekend uh but i guess professionally um i've got a background in uh, occupational psychology I've been working in the field for about 15 years uh like yourself i've got a real interest in sleep health and fatigue risk management and um that's kind of where i cut my teeth on i guess health and safety and, and the risk yeah. management kind of perspective um, but about um, what? About seven or eight years ago now, I kind of struck out on my own, uh, set up people diagnostics and uh, three years ago kind of thought, how do we do this at more scale and you know, put some technology behind it? So in 2018, we became a technology business officially, hiring our first developers. And now we've got a um, thriving team and um, got a couple of products in market where we're trying to do preventative mental health really well and a bit differently to what other people are doing.
0: Excellent. So so Jason, I actually heard this on another podcast during the week. Somebody was talking about industrial psychology. Um, I actually think it was on a mixed martial arts podcast. Somebody goes, Oh, that um that that fighter, that um I think she was a lady, was st- studying a PhD or masters in industrial psychology, and there was a bit of a back and forth about what's industrial psychology, what's occupational psychology. So what exactly is that? What what makes that that subject different than normal psychology and, you know, who you go in and have a conversation with in a in an office.
1: Yeah, um, you should actually listen to episode seven of our podcast. Then we actually had. I don't uh, listen. I don't listen to. I don't <laughs> listen to <laughs> the, the garbage like the garbage yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Why would you? I'm asking uh, the question. I'm asking the questions here. You're answering them. Come on.
1: <laughs> I'm trying to remember, we had uh, Heather Eichen, who's the chair of the College of Organizational Psychologists. So that's our pig body, if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was explaining, you know, what is an organizational psychologist. But you'll find our uh, industrial uh, psychology, organizational psychology, occupational psychology all very, um, similar, uh, if you like, uh, in Australia, there is a protected title of organizational psychology, uh, or also psych- psychologist. Um, and it's really about dealing with people in, in workplaces primarily. And it's about mainly optimizing, uh, outcomes. So it's not necessarily like clinical psychology where you're dealing with people mm-hmm. who are ill or not doing well and trying to get them back to a level of normality. Yeah. Um, I really, I'm drawn to to organizational psychology, first of all, because I was interested in sports psychology and optimal performance and, you know, working with elite athletes, uh, but there's not a lot of jobs in there and not a lot of money in there. Can't yeah, really for sure, yeah. uh, build a family, look after a family uh, being a sports psychologist uh, too easily anyway, unless you're one of the elite. So uh, organizational psychology was the next best thing for me. I still get to work with teams. I'm not working on the illness side. I get to help uh, groups of people to optimize performance. And uh, at the moment, I'm really enjoying this psychological health and safety space.
0: So as, as the name suggests then, Jason, it's more about the organizational design. It's more about the systems you can put in place within a business, how you can affect change by... You know the the resources, the team structure, the team dynamics, potentially the roster design, the individual fitness. It's all these different factors that would feed into it, as opposed to exactly what you said is you don't line up a hundred people and go right. I'm going to see, um, you know, employees one to a hundred over the next two weeks and work with them individually. It's it's more like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's more dealing with groups rather than individual level interventions. Although there is some of that, but again, it would be more around the the positive rather than um the negative.
0: Yeah. Okay excellent um so you said in the last few years you know you've been going on this route around sort of uh, workplace mental health and again i suppose just work for people listening you know we hear all these terms at the moment mental health mental wellness mental illness psychological health psychological stress and you kind of think like wait now what which is it is it hmm. this or is it this then people are talking about mindfulness the all these terms get kind of used interchangeably um, and I, I, I think your answer is going to be, go back and listen to episodes three, four, and five. Yeah, yeah, no, but no. <laughs> but oh. for the people who don't want to listen to your podcast yeah, yeah. or just want the That's quick, the quick high to level, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, what, what's I the guess, difference but, between all of those?
1: Yeah, I guess one of my pet peeves is when people say mental health illness um that's a, that's a new one i've heard recently um so yeah look mental health is basically um a state where people um are in positive uh, mental well-being right they're able to contribute to the community they're able to um you know work productively that sort of thing that's similar to i guess what the world health organization would define mental health as but you're right many people treat uh mental health as a synonym uh for mental illness um but mental illness is its own thing right this is when people are not well um, it's uh, when they're ill. And I find it really interesting because when you use the term physical health, people don't think about diabetes and cardiovascular disease straight yeah, away. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's exactly but right. when you yeah. talk about
1: mental health, people think about, you know, depression, anxiety, stress. They're not thinking about what does good mental health look like? So um, then yeah, you're right. Then people use all different convoluted terms. Uh, again, one of my pet peeves at the moment is psychological safety versus psychological health and safety. You can understand why people get a little confused um so psychological safety is when people feel like they have voice and able to you know say what they want at work without fear of repercussion um whereas psychological health and safety is more about applying risk management principles to the identification and mitigation of psychosocial hazards so they're actually two very different constructs both confusingly have uh, benefits for mental health if you do them well um (laughs) <laughs> but they are actually completely different things and uh, so often get used interchangeably as well. So I don't think we're going to solve the problem of um, of language today, mate. I know you're still getting that uh, handle on English yourself. Um, so <laughs> I'm not going to try and uh, give you any lessons on this because it's, it's really hard. And I think what we need to do is just try and, as psychologists at least, use the correct terms and not convolute it any further than what it currently is. Yeah, sure. I did hear that little
0: dig you had at me there in the middle there as well. But yeah, I'm question. probably a
1: bit too familiar with you, Ian.
0: So sorry. Yeah, about that. That's all right. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll. You know, I'm going to do a podcast in Spanish this year, and we'll see then who can speak Spanish or English. Um. Okay. So, <laughs> Jason, a lot of people maybe sitting back and thinking about in their workplace, they see elements of this occurring, or they see nothing occurring. They don't see a systematic approach to this, and they're maybe asking questions like. Mm, we don't even screen people coming to a business for mental illness never mind even talking about mental health what's your thoughts on or what have you seen around an industry around the people in businesses with mental illnesses that have either you know had had them coming into the business or have developed them over time a bit like what we see with sleep disorders for example or physical health issues like you said they might come in fit and healthy doing lots of shift work gain weight you know become diabetic and what sort of percentage do we see? Because obviously there's general stats and for the general population, but what do you see in business these days with people coming in? And, and on that, are businesses equipped to manage that?
1: Yeah, and um, I guess this is where we have to really talk about, you know, what is the role of the employer and what, what are their obligations? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if if someone has a physical injury um, uh, and it's occurred outside of work, it's actually not the employer's responsibility mm-hmm. to, take care of that person. But a reasonable employer would go, well, look, we want you to be at work. We want to yes. um, help you to be remain productive, right? So, we'll get you a wheelchair or we'll um, give you light duties so you can still contribute to the team uh, and be productive. Um, and when people come into work with, with mental illness, again, it's not the role of the employer to cure that mental illness for that person. Um, but they have to make sure that They are creating a work environment that's not going to exacerbate that mental illness. And this is where they need to think about the the root causes of work-related stress. So things like workload or lack of autonomy or poor support from colleagues or supervisors. Um, So that's that's actually the role of the employer, to create a healthy and safe work environment so that when people come to work, they can leave it in at least as good a condition as when they arrived, um, if not a better condition when they arrived. Uh, so yeah, it's really yeah, the same goals as as physical health and safety, right? That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and that's what we need to understand that employers' roles are. So when we talk about things like the provision of EAP, counselling services for employees, that's actually not an employer obligation. Now it is becoming something that is kind of expected, right, that yeah, employers yeah. will do that and it's good um, social responsibility, if you like. Um, but it's it's not a obligation, definitely not a legal obligation for companies to provide that. But funnily enough, they seem to be failing in many instances in their illegal obligations of identifying and mitigating stress or sources of stress that make people ill.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. So it's more of a kind of a goodwill effort or uh, you know, way have- of you know, looking after employees long term, keeping them engaged with the business, ensuring that, that they can contribute and recognizing the fact that things happen in life, stress occurs, or, you know, mental illness or periods of poor mental health occur.
1: Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah everybody uh, goes like, people go yeah. yeah. People can get injured like you did, mate, with your neck. I've had a spinal fusion myself, um, uh, L5S1. Um, and, you know, a, a generous employer or an empathetic employer would go, well, look, Ian's, you know, injured himself, trying to keep himself fit and healthy in his time off, mm-hmm. uh, hurt himself, you know, that's unlucky. Um, we're not going to penalise him for that. You know, we're going to work with him to see how he can, can still be a, a contributor to the team rather yeah. than saying, oh, no, Ian's no good anymore. We're going to toss him to the side. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's really about understanding that. And I think employers sometimes get confused and maybe that's why they are a little bit apprehensive about dealing with with mental health in the workplace because they're like, well... You know, that's, that's really an employee thing. That's not our thing. And, uh, in many instances, it's actually not the employee's responsibility, but they do still need to think about the work environment and the contribution of that to people's wellbeing over time.
0: Do you think, Jason, that leaders are, you know, afraid of this that they're afraid of tackling that in any shape way or form to kind of go look you know mental health mental illness I don't know whether someone's schizophrenic bipolar I, I it's not up to me to decide it's not up to our leaders to decide and you know if if someone's got a problem and they come to us we're going to say go to your GP or go to a psychologist you know we're not we're not a mental health facility and this is what I've heard from some leaders and mm. I'm just wondering is it does it come from a, f- a place of fear and lack of understanding or ignorance for? No, not sound too crass, but like, is it is it more about that? Whereas, it maybe if we took those people and educated them about what is mental health, what is mental illness, what is psychological stress, and we start showing them all these things and went, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, this is what you have to do legally. These are the nice things to do. This mm-hmm. is how you should show empathy in these situations. These are the where you can direct people to their services, and you just kind of stop and orientate people to what's really happening. Is that is that a is that something we can we you do you, uh, yourself? Is it something that businesses do is it something that we can do to kind of remove the fear from from situations
1: oh 100 comes down to competence right and if we're not training leaders to have that competence we can't expect them just to pick it up because they've listened to my podcast for example yeah yeah Um, (laughs) you know so uh it is all about competence and in fact in the incoming iso 45003 standard on psychological health and safety at work um there is a big focus on building up competence for senior management line management um, so that they understand what are their obligations and what is within their control at those different levels in order to support the mental health and well-being of, of employees.
0: Mm. Um, just taking a, a slightly different tact here for a, for a minute is because um, this is a question I have, and I, I've actually wanted to ask you this a while ago. I've asked a few other people. In the last probably couple of years, with the exception of COVID, and we'll put that to the side because that's a subject I want to come to in a few minutes, Um, We've seen a lot of like discussion in workplaces, and I've seen that in many different industries now, and even with sports teams, the whole kind of mindfulness thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I've seen happening is, you know, I've spoken about meditation as podcasts and mindfulness and, and things like that as well. But now what I've seen happen recently, particularly over the last year or so, is that mindfulness now has become a tool to slap people over the head with. Mm. You know, let's say, for example, Jason, you work for me and and we run a small, small garage and you're doing car services and you forget to, I don't know, change out the oil on Mr. Jones's car. And then, you know, I turn around and go to you, "Mm, Jason, you should be more mindful. You need to practice (laughs) mindfulness. And that's why you're not putting the oil in the car. Right. So that's a very stupid example. But that's kind of what I'm seeing across the board. People are using mindfulness. And I've seen adults use it with kids in the supermarket. It's become this kind of catch cry, this, this solution for everything, you know? And so you're supposed to be walking around all day in this kind of zen pause, never too happy, never too sad, never too mad, never too bad. And you're constantly in this hum in the middle and you're doing everything perfect. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, it gives me the shits. I'll be honest, right? Because yeah. I think what's happening is we, we're not allowing people to be emotional at certain times you know, people feel happy, people feel sad, people make mistakes. It's not intentional. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. So, but this mindfulness thing has come in as like, I even heard one person say, we don't really have a mental health strategy. We promote mindfulness. And I think that's really dangerous.
1: That's a Yeah. yeah,
0: I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this, on this coming in. And I, uh, maybe, is it just what I've seen or do you see it as well? Or what's happening here? Do you think?
1: Yeah, look, mindfulness obviously has a good evidence base and has been proven to be effective in. Well,
0: and I'm sorry, and I'm not disputing that, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. So, but this is the thing, right? Because it's got a good evidence base, people go, okay, mindfulness, that's it. So, what we're going to do is we're going to use mindfulness for everything. We're going to get mindfulness for peak performance. We're going to use mindfulness for sleep. We're going to use mindfulness for focus. Um, pokers, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know? um well, for relaxation, to manage stress, it's it's now like a tonic for, for everything, right? So, um. Uh, I see you know mindfulness for those who practice it can be really effective if we're talking about you know protecting your mental health and well-being is a really good way of um, reducing the, uh, the the stress response um, so you know when we have the sym- sympathetic um, nervous system kick in and we got all the you know adrenaline and cortisol and you know heart racing and all the rest um, sometimes it's good to kind of short-circuit that uh, and mindfulness can kind of take your racing mind and, and everything and your breathing and it can calm you down and, you know, allow your relaxation or parasympathetic um, nervous system to kind of kick in, right? So, yeah, look, I think there is effects uh, that you can use mindfulness for in terms of countering, you know, stress and kind of bringing your attention or focus back to the present moment. Um, using it all day, every day, I don't think is is mm-hmm. that effective. I don't I don't know too many people who do that. What I really hate, because we're talking about this today, it sounds like, um is like you say when uh workplaces go oh we've done mental health we've had someone come in and teach mindfulness to everyone last week right so we're done um or they say we've done our eap we've done oh we had these awesome cupcakes um in september for are you Day? um and one of our leaders got up and talked about how he had a stint of depression for a few months so we've done it like how much more could we do and I think it comes from an um, area of ignorance more than anything else. I think you know there are a lot of people who want to do the right thing. They do you know, legitimately care about the well-being of, of employees, but they just don't know any better. And they go, well, these are the popular approaches. So if we do all the popular approaches, then we're kind of like doing this really, really well. Um, unfortunately, um, again, they're not really thinking about the root cause of potential problems or work-related stress or whatever and so it doesn't matter how mindful you are mate if you're in a horrible working environment it's not going (laughs) to help and i couldn't think of much worse than you being my my boss in a in a a mechanic shop um (laughs) i don't think enough i could do enough mindfulness to well i
0: i I think jason you're you know i think you're just not mindful enough maybe to work for me so maybe (laughs) that's maybe that's the problem Um, Yeah, i think i think there's a
1: lot of it's not a fad right because there's a good evidence base but um you know, I think employers, and we very much um, subscribe to the idea of the shared responsibility, like um, with fatigue risk management, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's shared responsibility. Yeah. Um, we have to design good rosters that allow people appropriate times for rest and, and all the rest, um, but the individual still needs to take responsibility for their own sleep habits. Same thing with mm-hmm. mental health. We need to um, allow people or, or give them resources to care for their own mental health preventatively. But what I don't see employees doing so much um is not like i know you do roster reviews and stuff i don't see as many organizations actually doing psychosocial uh, risk assessments to look at what are the things that are causing people to be stressed that we actually have control over and would actually make people a lot better off
0: this is a very interesting point jason i think for anybody out there in business and um, in a leadership role i think the first place you have to start is around the organizational design i think mm-hmm. too often in the in the sphere of health and safety and even actually across business improvement engineering finance and these are the other areas I've worked upon in in and um you know and in conjunction with there's a there's a tendency to go straight to the individual or straight to the end of the process and blame that it's easy, a, it's easy. As, yeah it's easy right and so the classic thing we get our root cause analysis is more training and change the procedure or operator didn't follow the procedure and it's a classic rhetoric over and over again and so I think it's um I'm going to be talking to somebody on this about incident investigations, actually, in the mm. coming in the coming weeks. But I think it's it's really important that you take a step back and kind of whatever you design as a business is what you get. I call this business karma. So if you design a really crappy roster that doesn't allow adequate recovery, there's no point in sending in people to bang on people's heads about getting appropriate sleep. Mm. Or if yeah. you don't, if you you know put on cupcakes and someone gets up and talks about mental health once a, once a year. And you have a mindfulness app that you give people. There's no point in getting up there and going, you know, why did Johnny down in the pit get really pissed off last night and walk off the job, and now he's saying he's not coming back to work here? Well, mm-hmm. he should have just had his cupcake and used the app. You know? <laughs> so you know what I mean? And that's yeah, I think yeah. that's yeah. think that's the danger is that we don't st- step back and look at it in the bigger picture. And you're dead right, Jess. And it's easy to go down to the end of the process, the symptom, as opposed to treating the root cause and looking at the organizational design. Because what you get is what you design. And that's why I think, you know, I always advocate this with organizations. I had a client this morning I'm working with, and I just said to them, you need to go back and look at your kind of principles of this roster design and what you're trying to achieve. Because if you put this roster in place, you're just going to have fatigued individuals constantly. And Mm. you're going to end up getting some incidents out of this. And I think it's it's a very similar type of field that we're talking about here.
1: Yeah, so you can understand um, how I'm using some of those fatigue risk management principles that I've been working on for a long time and trying yeah. to bring this to, uh, I, I think I got, I've got a bit of a head start on many in terms of psychological health and safety of course of my roots in fatigue risk management. And obviously things like working hours and code of practices around that have been around for a, a lot longer than what mm. we're seeing, you know, codes of practice and standards for psychological health and safety at work. So, but there's so many overlaps between the the two different disciplines. Yeah.
0: Jason, uh, one of the things that comes up as well is that some people have, um, this has been said to me sort of anecdotally from employees on the shop floor, is that some people use mental health or mental illness to their advantage because they see an opportunity to kind of wedge it in here and never get fired. So in a day, you know, we've seen lots of change over the last year or so with COVID, lots of redundancies, there's lots of cost cutting. We see this in some of the big mining companies, constant turnover of people. Mm. So some people have kind of gone, Oh, I have uh, depression and uh, I'm bipolar Mm. and people have said, I'm not really sure if that person really has that and have just said it and then they've kind of kept their job. Mm. Now, I've heard that in a few different situations and I'm interested again to see what you think about people maybe potentially doing this as a method to kind of stay on the good side of an organization.
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to getting a good assessment done, and it again very good parallels with fatigue risk management. I mean, if someone had a sleep disorder uh, like insomnia, or, or um, you know maybe they couldn't sleep during the day uh, and they yeah. were on night shift, and they said, "I can't do night shift anymore because I can't sleep during the day," um, well then you need to get that person assessed, right? Like, do they actually have an underlying sleep disorder that we're you know not aware of? Um, or, you know, in the case of mental health, do they, ha- do they have a disorder? Um, and so you actually need a, a trained professional, but I think sometimes leaders are concerned. They're like, oh, this person's got depression. Um, I just need to accept that. I need to like a coddle that, that person basically, because I don't, I don't want to mention, I don't even want to say the word depression because it might make them suicidal. Uh, and again, that mm-hmm. just comes from a lack of competence and, you know, comfortableness talking about the, the, the subject matter. But again, it comes down to, um, you know, leaders not needing to be psychologists or sleep experts they can refer to those people you know use your injury management processes right is this person um you know assess the, the person and then look at what is reasonably um uh, able to be done in terms of accommodations for that person but uh yeah look uh, i sometimes I've, I've heard the um uh, some people say particularly on linkedin going oh look you know people uh, can make claims for uh, mental disorders or psychological injuries um due to what's happened at work," but you know, really they'll just, you know, they, they, it wasn't work. It was home or, you know, it wasn't it wasn't really stress-related. They were just playing up the symptoms so they could get compensation paid out or, or whatever. It's actually really, really hard for a medical professional to sign you off for a mental disorder to be able to get a workers' compensation claim. Mm. So I think if there's a few people who slip through the cracks and are able to fool their mental health yeah. professional, good on them because there's so many people who deserve compensation, <laughs> I think, for mental disorders that has happened at work that have been pushed down to TPD um, insurance um, because it's too hard to get it done at work. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think there's much more people that actually deserve compensation for psychological injuries uh, than the people who are, who are getting compensated for that. So, uh, yeah, look, um, I think at the end of the day, what you have to do is to lean on your, your health professionals and then come up with a plan, like, with those health professionals. Don't think you're the expert or has to be, have to be the expert as a, a line manager Use your injury management teams to, um, to to manage that situation.
0: Yeah, and and again, Jason, this comes back to organizational design. If you don't have a process in place for you know, assessing people, if someone comes to you with a claim that they have depression and bipolar, for example, and mm. if they haven't gone and had that assessment and provide that information to you as an employer, do you have a mechanism in place from an organizational system which is maybe – I think, it's a, I think it's a great example is to try to use existing processes, injury management, return to work, whatever you want to call them. You don't have to develop a whole new stream. You can actually align or incorporate these things into existing systems and make it nice and easy for your business. You don't have to spend lots of money. Sometimes it's just about aligning some of your processes. And in actual fact, I, I think some business could actually save money um, by aligning some of their processes and, and, and doing this.
1: There yeah, there's some additional consulting, mate. You can be a psych health and safety consultant as well now. I don't,
0: I, I don't know if I can. Uh, I don't know if I can pass. I I had a psychologist tell me on LinkedIn I couldn't be a psychologist because I can't keep my mouth shut. That was that was a bit of banter between myself and Michael Gradowski, who was on the podcast before. I know Michael only
1: You're the only doctor on this uh, podcast, by the way. So. Nah, sure. <laughs>
0: If I like I like I say, if I can get a doctorate, anybody can. So that doesn't mean anything. It's like a forklift ticket. Uh that's that's all due respect to people with forklift tickets. I think I'd fail that one quicker. <laughs> um you put me off there. Okay, so that oh yeah, that was what I was leading into. Um what about companies who are trying to weigh up the benefits of um, you know, implementing maybe Psychological health and safety system into their business or whatever wording they want to use, and uh, and they're sitting back and they're kind of looking and going, "Is this really worth it? Is it not? I know it's good for people, but at the end of the day, we're a business. It comes down, the crux of it comes down to finance. What's the business case about putting this in? What's the ROI, return on investment for us? Um, And so that kind of leads into a question, which is, is there any benefit to putting this in in terms of? in a reduction in insurance premiums is there any tangible ways we can lower costs for organizations by putting these systems into place
1: yeah uh uh, there's a ton really um so yeah first of all if we hit on the ROI and I hate I actually hate this study by PricewaterhouseCoopers in 2014 where they looked at the return on investment for uh, mental health interventions um if you you hate
0: hate this study
1: I hate it But everyone uses it as a reference point, okay? So um, basically they found on average uh, employees can get $2.30 back for every dollar they spend on mental health interventions. And they looked at things like resilience training and EAP and all this reactive stuff, right? Not even the proactive stuff. Um, The reason I hate it is if you read past the abstract and you look at their methodology, You'll see to determine um, how much productivity they would lose from an employee uh, if they had depression. A group of experts sat around the, cable, uh, the table, put their finger up in the in the air, and said fifty percent. <laughs> so there was, it didn't go beyond that. Uh, people with no vested interest in the outcome of this report decided that people were going to be fifty percent less productive if they had a mental disorder. So, so they,
0: they didn't even lick their finger before they put it in the air just oh, sorry, to just. Sorry, yeah, off.
1: sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> Um, yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so look, despite the flaws of the methodology, there's a common cited reference. Yes. For every dollar that you put in to even some, you know, reactive type strategies for, for mental health, there seems to be some sort of return on investment over in Canada. Um, they have what's called the the national standard of Canada for psychological health at work. And, um, they, Uh, probably the most advanced, I'd say, out of any country uh, in the world Mm. around psychological health and safety, and have had really good adoption, and particularly in industries like healthcare and education and first responders and government and administration. Um, But they have got some great evidence now because it's been around for eight years or so, and uh, around when people take a systemic approach using more of a health and safety angle compared to a wellness individual angle Um, that, you know, you can get better patient outcomes, you know, less uh, errors in the workplace, uh, less time off work, you know, um, more productivity out of people. So there's all these great benefits. Uh, Not to mention, yes, you can get lower insurance premiums. And what you're finding is that uh, workers' comp insurers are really scared at the moment because of the escalating um, uh, uh, amount of psychological injuries that are being compensable. Uh, and the, the cost. So New South, Safe Work New South Wales um, recently published some data along with their draft code of practice for psychological health at work. And they found that in the four years preceding 2019, there was a three and a half percent increase in physical injury claims in the state over that period. So pretty stable. And I think you'd agree, like the health and safety industry has actually gotten pretty good at what they do. And now it's kind of like small adjustments that they're making in order to see benefits. They're not going to get massive step changes anymore. Um, However, in the same period of time, they recorded a 53% increase in psychological injury claims. So massive increase. Now, the problem is, is that the average um, claim for a psychological injury is $85,000 compared to about $20,000 for a physical injury claim. So not only are we seeing this rapid increase in in injury claims, but they cost a lot as well. And then that ends up getting added, obviously, to an employer's um, policy costs um, over time. So I think employers need to be uh, uh, mindful. (laughs) Sorry about that. Uh, They need to be aware that these things can Cost them over time uh, through their their premiums for workers' compensation, and the insurers are scared because they're the ones that end up footing the bill immediately when people are having these uh, these issues.
0: I think the good thing about what you're saying there, Jason, is that unlike in the sleep world, for example, and uh, using the context of Australia. Um, you know, Deloitte Access Economics have, have published a number of different reports. Who's the the enemy of Price Waterhouse Cooper? Um, they've published. No, I, was, of, I was
1: on. <laughs> I was on the board of the Sleep Health Foundation actually when we approved this study. By
0: the way. So I think I think, yeah. I think that was the I think that was the uh, so
1: that's a great study then, Joseph. It, um, so it I think was I'm not <laughs> the PwC one. I can tell you that. So.
0: And I think that was. Um, I think the third iteration of that, but in general, we, you know, that report has shown, you know, that, you know, basically sleep and sleep problems are getting worse in the country that led to a parliamentary inquiry, which I give evidence on as well, uh, here in Western Australia. So, but I don't, what I think we haven't done in the sleep world is we haven't articulated or we haven't seen the impact like you've just articulated there because what you've taken is more of a, what I would call a balanced scorecard approach, working left to right across the board in your in your mind's eye, you can mm. see that there's de- definitely, um, you know, benefit to health and safety of individuals. You spoke about people and leadership. Mm. Um, you spoke about production-related stuff like errors. You also spoke about finance in terms of the workers' compensation claims. So very, very quickly, which comes back to one of my previous questions, mm. which I asked you about, is very quickly an employer can sit down and actually put the numbers together and go, uh, you know what, I've had X amount of claims this year. I've had X amount of issues. I really need to do something about here because if I don't, I'm going to start losing money hand over fist here by not Mm. managing this, you know, risk in my business. And like I said to organizations, you know, we do stuff in the fatigue management space, human performance, um, you know, medical design processes and so on. So that more occupational health and elements of safety. And I said to, I said to people like that, our leaders, especially the engineers and the financial types, if you never care about the people care about the money, Mm because you're losing money hand over fist and you've got multiple errors here and you've got no productivity happening. So leaving that aside, you need to do it for that reason. And so some people would be hooked by that. Other people would be hooked by the safety element and want to yeah. do the right thing, you know? Um, and so I think having that kind of smorgasbord of, of benefits for everybody is, is really key. So it's, it's great to hear yeah. you say that. It's, it's encouraging.
1: Yeah, the, the other thing I, I think is the reputational damage, right? Um, we're seeing it now on the national stage with um, the, the, the rape um, uh, that came to light recently. Um, uh, there's been cases with AMP Capital, for example, with sexual harassment that came out uh, from one of their their leaders in their organisation. Now, we had um, Dr Rebecca Mahalek uh, on episode six of our podcast and she spoke to um, how she watched once it got came out uh, in the public about the sexual harassment that uh the perpetrator was one of their senior leaders in the organization that they watched the shareholder revolt and they lost 2.3 billion dollars off their market cap at that point in time um, because i didn't deal with it properly and what they should have done is dealt dealt with it systemically understanding that sexual harassment like bullying harassment is a psychosocial hazard and we can't just take an individual lens or a you know um a uh, ir lens to that it really is a health and safety issue like how did this happen in our organisation that someone got sexually harassed or raped, right? Um, So, um, yeah, what you can see is it's huge reputational damage as well if you don't manage these risks uh, accordingly.
0: Yeah, and like to a lesser extent, completely different subject. We've seen that with Rio Tinto and the relationship with Mm. local Aboriginal people um, with the caves. We've seen what that's done. Like We've seen a massive shake-up in that business. We've seen it affecting the share price the whole lot, where I think maybe potentially 20 years ago, we meant people that might have been kind of just, oh yeah, that happened. Brushed aside, maybe a bit of an apology, an acknowledgement, cash payment, and moved on. Potentially, I don't know. I'm just—it's just an example. Um, yeah.
1: Now we've got a lot of work shareholders yeah. now, so um, we have to be mindful of that.
0: You can't say mindful, Jason.
1: Yes, yeah, all right. Got to get that on my vocabulary now, don't know. You, no, you're going
0: to say it the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually it's—it's it's interesting you bring up about the um, the sexual harassment of the reps, the rape case, because. This is something that we're seeing more of happening um, you know, with businesses in the news. It's a it's a, it's a hard subject to tackle and it's a hard subject probably for organizations to to, to discuss. Um, you know, I, I've heard some, you know, my my wife works in a mining company and she and she's pretty like tough skin. She listens to a lot of crap, you know. And as people know, I'm ex-military and, and mining. And I I don't hear I don't hear a lot of crazy comments. Maybe just I'm not around it. But I hear I've heard a lot of really crazy comments in the last maybe six to 12 months where I just, I was completely oblivious to it. And then when my wife starts telling me stuff for her friends of hers, I'm like, people speak to you like that on a mindset. Never mind, put their hands on them. Or I'm like, that's like, I don't know how it's, I don't know what the word is for it, but to speak to people vul- in a vulgar manner, like it's just, it's crazy. And I'm, I'm like 20 something years ago, and the military didn't even hear guys speak like that. I'm, I can't believe it. So I think what's, what the good thing about what I'm saying is that it's bringing to light some of the bad kind of you know speech that's happening in organizations yeah. and I th- hopefully more people will stand up and go, hey, that's not appropriate to speak like that. Because I think once you allow that to happen, that leads into other things that then can occur because you're building a culture of acceptance around that that yeah. sort of that sort of speak. And you know, yeah. a couple of days ago here in Australia we've seen um and I haven't been following this, I just read the head read the headlines on it, we see someone in the Liberal Party has been has been raped in Canberra, you know. So at the highest levels in government, this is this is occurring, and I think I think in some hand too, we're a bit afraid to talk about and what's going on. So,
1: yeah, you know. yeah, no, um, Dr. Rebecca is fantastic in this area and I'm um, throwing or shining a light on this through health and safety lens, if you like, versus an IR lens or a HR lens, and um, yeah, she's she's got some very good views on that. Um, so I'd, uh, if anyone's interested in finding out more, I definitely uh, seek out Dr Rebecca Mihalik, Um definitely expert in this area
0: okay is she based here in Australia Jason
1: she's Perth based right so oh, we got some good people out of Perth I can tell you that
0: might uh, might uh, have to buy her a coffee and pick her brain on that subject because it's a it's an interesting one um, you know and we're seeing lots more of you know this subject and, and other subjects around like free speech, diversity. These type of things, you know, uh, making headway over the last couple of years in, in organizations. And, you know, it's a, it's a tricky minefield. And I think we're in the danger of not being able to talk about it with cancel culture when we just sometimes, I think, you know, by not being able to talk about it and openly ask questions, that's where we become ignorant of these subjects and we don't know what's happening. And that's that's yeah. why Have her I on mean, your podcast, mate.
1: I reckon your listeners would love to hear from her. She definitely hold, doesn't hold back. So
0: Right. I'll, I'll make a note I like, of that. I like someone who uh, comes at me with fire. Um, yeah. That's great. Jason, I want to kind of just diverge into the whole COVID situation because there's probably not one person on the planet that has not been affected by this. I'd be very surprised if they haven't. Um, so a couple of things that I've been looking at myself um, from a scientific perspective without taking a viewpoint on governments and how governments manage it and so on, just looking at the data. Uh, what I've kind of got interest in is the preventative data or the the let's say the things that people can do the preventable data the preventable causes that people can affect and two ones that come out um which i haven't seen much of on the other ones but two ones that come out and has a fair bit of data around it is alcohol and obesity and so we know that like alcohol you know affects people in terms of sleep psychological health as well we know that obesity you know definitely affects people in terms of other metabolic conditions leads to sleep disorders, and I'm not too sure about actually the link with mental health or mental illness. But like to give people an example, um, since the COVID nineteen has happened, according to the World Health Organization and some other sources as well, seventy percent of Australians were drinking more than they usually did. Thirty-two yep. percent, yeah, seventy percent, thirty-two percent are concerned about the amount of alcohol um, they are drinking or someone like a loved one around them. People are drinking more alcohol than they planned or thought they had. And um, women are probably the biggest increase. Most women have increased their alcohol consumption by 41%. Alcohol, alcohol I don't even drink it, I can't even say this word. Alcohol related problems have increased by 39%. And in the UK, people who before the COVID-19 pandemic maybe had alcohol problems and were in recovery ended up, you know, basically falling off the wagon for want of a better word. So that's, that's something that's happened there. And then on the obesity side, which is obviously a significant risk factor as well, the data shows like if you're obese over a 30 BMI, you're, you're more at risk of it as well. But we've seen as well over the last year <clears throat> that, you know, basically your BMI, and this is, this is scientific peer-reviewed studies as well, A higher BMI, you're like nearly three times more likely for hospitalization, two times more likely for ICU, uh, 2.6 times more likely for invasive mechanical ventilation. You know, and the list goes on um, about this as well. Um, and if you had a BMI greater than 40, so we're talking about extreme obesity, mm. your your chances of dying from COVID was like, you had 90% more chance of dying. So I suppose I wanted to kind of um, ask you about, before we talk about the impact of that to mental health, I actually wanted to ask you about, like the term many people may be familiar with who've studied psychology, ELOX and ILOX, external locus of control and, and internal locus of control. I'm happy to have your thoughts on this. Why is it that with these things that are within the person's internal locus of control, alcohol and obesity, people don't want to really manage it. It's actually getting worse. But the external things like vaccines and masks and stay away from me, people are jumping up and down and acting like, you know, the ultimate warrior of wrestling, going crazy, screaming and roaring at people when they can't even do what's in their own control. Do you have any kind of insights into why that's happening at the moment? That's a very broad question, but I'm, I'm interested from a psychologist's perspective, White people have gone
1: like this. You got me confused with the wrong type of psychologist again, mate. My background is organizational psychology. Wait, no, hold <laughs> on.
0: This is psychology 101. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know what elocks and ilox are, you're getting kicked out. Hey, yeah, uh, it's general psychology. That's like me saying, I don't actually
1: know you know what two stages of sleep are with no, with no not looking at any evidence you've got the data i haven't looked at the evidence myself and you're asking me to make some assumptions yeah but this is what this
0: is what a good scientist this is what a good asshole scientist does I'm he gets data and an he corner somebody
1: <laughs> <laughs> and i'm not falling into it so um, you've kind of you kind of set me up there i think on that with that no question.
0: i I, t- I tell you what i haven't set you up but what i am actually interested is why why is it the broader question is when something is in somebody's control why do they not basically look at that and acknowledge it and manage it as opposed to focus being focused on something in external locus and control. I'm using this as a segue into some other questions I want to ask you about COVID, but it's just something I'm really interested in about why people want to look externally as opposed to looking internally. And the same question could be asked for anything, actually, to be honest with you. It's like
1: oh no, like, I'm thinking about the parallels already yeah. with mental health work, right? You look at employers and they go, well, no, it's not our responsibility that someone's gotten ill. That's their responsibility. Yeah, yeah. It should be an individual thing that they should be managing. It's not something that we should be controlling. And so, yeah, if I had to um, to guess, I'd be saying, well, you know, the external locus control stuff, well, that's outside of my control and I just hope that that will get managed. Um, internal locus control, I actually have to make a commitment to action. I have to change yeah, habits. So, I need to do yeah. the hard work, you know, Um you know, you work out two hours a day, you know, you have to make a decision every day. Am I going to do this or am I just going to stay in bed? Um, And it's hard to, to develop those habits. Um, And so, yeah, sometimes it's just easier to go, "No, it's uh, all the external stuff uh, rather than me having to make a hard decision today or putting myself under, uh, making myself a bit uncomfortable.
0: All right. I'll leave it at that. We'll come back to that question on another podcast, but you're right though, because it's interesting to say about the exercise, like people said to me, oh, it's all right for you, Ian, you like eating healthy, you don't like alcohol and you like running. I'm like, no, I like sitting on the couch, eating cheeseburgers and doing nothing. That's really <laughs> what I like, but I don't like how I feel after I do it. And that's the <laughs> carrot for me. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to be sitting there, you know, feeling like shit, watching, watching Star Wars again, you know, <laughs> although I'd love <laughs> to do it, but I can't just, I would feel like crap. Yeah. So Jason, as a segue into that COVID-19 thing, like, um, I suppose over the last year or so, again, we've seen Lots of different changes with people. We've seen, you know, and we've seen it here recently in Perth. Everything was fine, and all of a sudden, bang! Five five days snap lockdown, um, and then we had two weeks of wearing masks, and you know, people were like getting a bit ag- aggressive in certain situations. We see it happening again in Melbourne this week with a snap lockdown as well. Mm-hmm. You know, people now are probably worried about, is this, are we going to be constantly in now? this for two or three years? Can I ever travel? You know, I haven't got to see my family overseas, which is a benefit for me. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm never going to go on holiday again. How is that affecting how people are in the workplace? You know, and, yeah. and what's the ramifications of that? What what can we expect to see? Because I don't think we've fully seen it. And so what, what is to come, do you think?
1: Yeah, so... The thing is, uh, I think the pandemic has really put a spotlight on mental health, right? And the effects mm. the pandemic is having. Uh, but people forget that before the pandemic, things weren't great. Uh, in the UK, Canada, Australia, we all had our worst reporting periods for work-related stress or psychological injury claims before the pandemic. But like mm-hmm. um, uh, sleep loss or you know fatigue, it's uh, a number of factors that can be cumulative um, that lead to you feeling fatigued or um, make you feel stressed or, you know, make you mentally ill. It's not just one thing. It's like the final thing that breaks the the straw that breaks the camel's back, if you like. Um, And so people were already stressed. We had record levels of stress in all of these countries. Um, And then we had this massive macro level effect, right? This pandemic. And also then the, uh, the global economy tanked as well. And people were being made redundant there's job insecurity fears. So all of these stresses just hitting people at the same time. No wonder, um, you know, the government was so worried about, you know, suicides and I'm not sure if you saw the data on that, the predictive data, uh, they were were suggesting that uh, we had our worst year on record last reporting period for suicides in Australia, double the the amount of people um, killed themselves compared to people who died on the road through traffic accidents. Um, And they were predicting it could go up 50% higher again due to the pandemic. Now, fortunately, from the data that we've got so far, it doesn't look like that's the case. Uh, it looks, if anything, it's it's trending about the same as the last reporting period. It Doesn't seem to be a big big thing. But remember, the government put a lot of measures in really quickly with things like um, the JobKeeper, JobKeeper program, JobKeeper. JobSeeker. Um, you know, making sure that there was yeah money going into the economy, um, making sure that they increased tele um, uh, mental health services. Uh, so there's a lot of money that went into services really quickly and into the economy to try and counteract all these additional pressures. So, yeah, look, um, we are expecting it's probably going to get worse before it gets any better, but um, just remember, that it wasn't COVID that did this. We, we It was already bad before the pandemic hit, but no, we, I we really...
0: I, I totally agree with you, and so there's actually some data I was putting into a presentation for a client tomorrow morning, and it's based upon a study that was done by uh, Michael Gradner, who's been on the podcast, who looks at basically, um, you know, sort of mental health and sleep and mental illness, particularly in athletes, but also in business as well. He's a professor in at the University of Arizona in the U.S., so he's based in Phoenix. And I was putting this this actually on the slide deck I was working on before we 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 caught up today, and. Like, I think it might be worse in America because they didn't have, like what you said, the job keeper mm. and litter support as well. But to give you an idea, and this is pre-pandemic data, in America in the last 20 years, suicide rate increased by 33% in 20 years. Mm. That's 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 crazy. Like, that's, part, oh, I shouldn't say crazy, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just, you know, and this is when we, and so when we look at, you know, sleep as a contributing factor as well, poor sleep increased suicide risk factors, 280% more. For people thinking about suicide, 350% more for attempts, 240% more for death by suicide. And again, the possible sources, Jason, exactly what you said: financial hardship, pain and disease, social isolation, author thinking patterns, everything that we this is all pre-pandemic, and this is all the stuff that happened in the pandemic. So it's really interesting in a bad way that this has happened. You know, because I yep. think we're, we will see in countries like this that haven't proactively managed it, um, we might see some long-term negative um, impacts, which is, a, which is a shame.
1: Yeah, there are definitely people in the mental health community talking about the echo pandemic. Um, so it's not just going to be the immediate uh, health implications of the pandemic, but the, going, uh, the ongoing mental health implications that are probably going to you know, be going for years after, you know, um, hopefully <laughs> you know, with the vaccine, right, and what happens mm. with that. Um, but uh, mental health problems are here to stay. Uh, they're bad pre-pandemic. They're only going to be the same or worse after the pandemic. Um, and it's time for businesses, I guess, if we if we bring it back to the workplace, to consider what can they do systemically, thinking about work design, thinking about um, you know operational um, uh, design to protect their people.
0: Yeah, and I think as well, Jess, and I think um, I'd urge businesses as well and leaders to think about in the future world, how you manage this in a remote setting as well, because just because we've let people work from home doesn't mean that this is like a kind of a, a treat, you know, using air ear, ear quotes here. It's not a treat to work at home. For some people working at home is the biggest pain in the ass they can ever imagine. For me and you, it might be fine, right? Maybe. For me, it's, it's great. It's no problem whatsoever. My wife, perfect. She loves it. But we don't have kids. We don't have dogs. We don't have other family members staying with us. Other people might have family members, dogs, trying to homeschool kids you know, they might have a building site next door, it might be in an apartment, the Wi-Fi might be crap. We don't know, you know, what's going on. So working from home isn't just a kind of a simple measure to manage all this stuff and externalize it. And so that may exacerbate things like sleep problems, you know, mental illness and depression, any of these things that we've spoken about today. The other one as well as ergonomic design, physical health and fitness, do they have time to go out you know, they're not interacting with people their own age. It's all of these things that kind of feed in and may actually make it worse over time as well. So I think the, the future of EAP, um, psychological health and safety at workplace needs to kind of maybe think about the different scenarios that we have going forward, because on a parallel in an integrated approach, when we're talking about sleep, mental health, physical fitness, and so on, we're seeing the same thing in the sleep world some of the early papers that have started coming out have shown that sleep has gone down in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. People said, Oh, it'll go up. No, it went down. And before it, it was going right down as well. We've seen, you know, sleep go down yep. by over 20% on average in humans over the last sort of 30 to 40 years in the Western world as well. So, um, I'd like to say that things are only going to get better, but I don't know. We We need to, we need to put some actions in place. And I think, You know, sometimes I think, Jason, maybe we should have been just engineers because it's easy. You can measure the inputs and you can measure the process and the outputs. But in the stuff that we do, it can be very hard to articulate the, the benefits. It's hard to create something in terms of assessing the risk. It's hard to put controls and designs in place because it's so personalized, but it has to be organizational as well. People come with their own beliefs. People come with their own opinions. Some things work, some things don't. Everybody's different. So it can be very, very hard. So, you know, maybe we should have been just Two civil engineers.
1: <laughs> Too easy, mate. Too easy. Uh, um, uh, we, I work with some engineers, and they do some very complex stuff. I got to say. So, um, yeah, no. I, I think in many ways, again, I guess uh, to to wrap things up today, we're talking about fatigue, we're talking about mental health, and there are so many parallels. And I think, you know, I've learned a lot definitely from my early days dabbling in fatigue risk management. Um, that kind of only are now being introduced into psychological health and safety, right? And how we yeah, do yeah. mental health at work. So I think. Um, fatigue, sleep, science, that kind of area is actually done a lot earlier than what we have done with mental uh, mental health at work, thinking about the systems approaches, right, not just the individual approach. Mm. Um, But yeah, I take what you say as well, and that mental health gets uh, a lot more research. There's a lot more publicity around mental health than there is sleep. You know, I love both uh, and, uh, you know, I continue to work in in both areas. Um, But I think, yeah, where we can make a real step change for the health and safety of people is to really bring some of that systems level thinking into how we manage mental health in the workplace.
0: Excellent. That's great, Jason. So if people want to get a hold of you, they want to find out more about your services, what you offer, um, people diagnostic or with your background there in Flourish, um, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way?
1: Yeah, best to hit me up on LinkedIn. You'll find that I'm pretty active on there. Um, so DM me or um, you know just connect. Uh, otherwise, uh, check out our podcast, Psych Health and Safety. Um, uh, you'll find it on everywhere you find Ian's. <laughs> In the trash. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you're, 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 you're available on all pod, podcast platforms. Yeah, go over there to LinkedIn, guys. Follow that page; it's really good. And I like the little clips, um, and they're good as well because you can watch the clips at work without audio. You got the little subtitles comes up, so it gives you a bit of an insight. You can, you know, watch if you're sitting on the toilet, um, sitting on the yeah, train. Watch, watch, if watch you will finally <laughs> understand
1: what Ian's been saying all this time on this podcast.
0: So. Yeah, well, I hope it's not one of those auto subtitles because if it is, then we're we're both yeah. screwed. Uh, Excellent. Thanks very much, Jason. And as always, if you want to follow me, you can go over to uh, Melius Consulting webpage, meliusconsulting.com.au. We've launched a new online shop over there that you might want to have a look at. We do individual and athletic solutions, education, sleep disorder screening, uh, home based sleep disorder screening, individual consultation and assessments. We're doing planning as well for athletes, uh, individual athletes, and for teams as well. So if you've got like a competition coming up, we're doing some planning there, so some indicative prices over there. Have a look at those. Uh, check out the website for all the podcasts. We've got over 80 now. You can scroll back through all of those and have a look. Uh, plenty of blogs up there as well. You can contact us. Sign up for the newsletter, which comes out every two months. Uh, on Twitter, at Melius Perform. On Instagram, on Melius Perform. And at Sleep for Perform. Yeah. And on Facebook as well. But given the new Facebook stuff, I don't know if we can share much information because Mark Zuckerberg doesn't like. Australian media, so not too sure what will happen over there, and on LinkedIn, like Jason as well, Medias Consulting. Uh, you can email me at Ian.Dunikan at Medias if you want to shout at me or ask me any questions. And if you would like to leave us a five star review on any of your podcast apps, we would love that as well. And um, yeah, and until next time, thank you very much.
2: I ain't surprised at all, seen them rise and fall Went up the mountain, it wasn't hard to climb at all At the top, I found some relief I finally got some pleas, carry on But please don't mess up the mood Yeah, I went too hard for it No, I need it, beat it, for you mess up the mood Yeah, ooh, I went too hard for it And I need it, so please don't mess up the mood Don't, don't, don't mess up the mood Don't don't, don't mess up the mood, yeah, I work too hard for it, yeah, yeah, uh, don't mess up the mood, oh, it's so crucial, I gotta keep it, it's in the ass everywhere, no, it's not a secret, and I, oh, I bet they didn't think that I'd ever get it, everything you have done, I get it, the life you're dreaming, I live it, and I'm coming in, how you better get out the kitchen, yeah, I could make a hit on whatever you pitching, me. Baby, let me fill up whatever you missing. Oh, you like it up at the top. It's a better view, isn't it? I'm not surprised at all. No way. Hey, hey, what you need? Come on. Just pay the fee. I supply it all. Went up the mountain and it wasn't hard to climb at all. At the top, I found some relief, you see? So please don't mess up the move. I went too hard for it. No, I need it. Beat it. Oh, you mess up the move. All right. All right. Ooh. I went too hard for it. Please, yeah, so please don't mess up the mood. Don't, don't, don't mess up the mood. Don't, don't, don't mess up the mood. No oh, come on. I went too high for it.